0: The source of the speeches I use here on the Choice Voice Podcast comes from a list of the top 100 American speeches of the 20th century. This list is compiled by researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Texas A&M University, among other places. It reflects the opinions of 137 leading scholars of American public address. My choice of speeches should not be construed to reflect or promote any point of view. They are simply considered great speeches. The Checkers Speech a.k.a. my side of the story. My fellow Americans, I come before you tonight as a candidate for the vice presidency and as a man whose honesty and integrity have been questioned. The usual political thing to do when charges are made against you is to either ignore them or to deny them without giving details. I believe we've had enough of that in the United States, particularly with the president administration in Washington, D.C., To me, the office of the Vice Presidency of the United States is a great office, and I feel that the people have got to have confidence in the integrity of the men who run for that office and who might obtain it. I have a theory, too, that the best and only answer to a smear or to an honest misunderstanding of the facts is to tell the truth, and that's why I'm here tonight. I want to tell you my side of the case. I am sure that you have read the charge, and you've heard that I, Senator Nixon, took $18,000 from a group of my supporters. Now was that wrong? And let me say that it was not wrong, I'm saying incidentally that it was not wrong and not just illegal. Because it isn't a question of whether it was legal or illegal, that isn't enough. The question is, was it morally wrong? I say that it was morally wrong if any of that $18,000 went to Senator Nixon for my personal use. I say that it was morally wrong if it was secretly given and secretly handled. And I say that it was morally wrong if any of the contributors got special favors for the contributions that they made. And now, to answer those questions, let me say this. Not one cent of the $18,000 or any other money of that type ever went to me for my personal use. Every penny of it was used to pay for political expenses that I did not think should be charged to the taxpayers of the United States it was not a secret fund. As a matter of fact, when I was on Meet the Press, some of you may have seen it last Sunday, Peter Edson came up to me after the program and he said, Dick, what about this fund we hear about? And I said, well, there's no secret about it. Go out and see Dana Smith, who is the administrator of the fund. And I gave him his address and I said that you will find that the purpose of the fund simply was to defray political expenses that I did not feel should be charged to the government. And third, let me point out, and I want to make this particularly clear, that no contributor to this fund, no contributor to any of my campaign, has ever received any consideration that he would not have received as an ordinary constituent. I just don't believe in that, and I can say that never. While I have been in the Senate of the United States, as far as the people that contributed to this fund are concerned, have I made a telephone call for them to an agency, or have I gone down to an agency on their behalf? And the records will show that. The records which are in the hands of the administration. But then, some of you will say, and rightly, well, what did you use the fund for, Senator? Why did you have to have it? Let me tell you in just a word how a Senate office operates. First of all, a Senator gets $15,000 a year in salary. He gets enough money to pay for one trip a year, a round trip that is, for himself and his family between his home and Washington, D.C. And then, he gets an allowance to handle the people that work in his office, to handle his mail. And the allowance for my state of California is enough to hire 13 people. And let me say, incidentally, that the allowance is not paid to the senator. It's paid directly to the individuals that the senator puts on his payroll. But all of these people and all of these allowances are for strictly official business. Business, for example, when a constituent writes in and wants you to go down to the Veterans Administration, we'll finish reading after this quick break. Now, back to where we left off and get some information about his GI policy. Items of that type, for example. But there are other expenses which are not covered by the government, and I think I can best discuss those expenses by asking you some questions. Do you think that when I or any other senator makes a political speech, has it printed, should charge the printing of that speech and the mailing of that speech to the taxpayers? Do you think, for example, when I or any other senator makes a trip to his home state to make a purely political speech, that the cost of that trip should be charged to the taxpayers? Do you think when a senator makes political broadcasts or political television broadcasts, radio or television, that the expense of those broadcasts should be charged to the taxpayers? Well, I know what your answer is. It is the same answer that audiences give me whenever I discuss this particular problem. The answer is no. The taxpayers shouldn't be required to finance items which are not official business, but which are primarily political business. But then the question arises, you say, well, how do you pay for these things and how can you do it legally? And there are several ways it can be done, incidentally, and that it is done legally in the United States Senate and in the Congress. The first way is to be a rich man. I don't happen to be a rich man, so I couldn't use that one. Another way that it is used is to put your wife on the payroll. Let me say, incidentally, my opponent, my opposite number for the vice presidency on the Democratic ticket, does have his wife on the payroll. And he has had her on his payroll for the 10 years, the past 10 years. Now, just let me say this. That's his business, and I'm not critical of him for doing that. You will have to pass judgment on that particular point, but I have never done that for this reason. I have found that there are so many deserving stenographers and secretaries in Washington that needed the work that I just didn't feel it was right to put my wife on the payroll. My wife's sitting over here. She's a wonderful stenographer. She used to teach stenography and she used to teach shorthand in high school. That was when I met her, and I can tell you folks that she's worked many hours at night and many hours on Saturdays and Sundays in my office, and she's done a fine job. And I'm proud to say tonight that in the six years I've been in the House and the Senate of the United States, Pat Nixon has never been on the government payroll. There are other ways that these finances can be taken care of. Some who are lawyers, and I happen to be a lawyer, continue to practice law but I haven't been able to do that. I'm so far away from California that I've been so busy with my senatorial work that I have not engaged in any legal practice. And also, as far as law practice is concerned, it seemed to me that the relationship between an attorney and the client was so personal that you couldn't possibly represent a man as his attorney and then have an unbiased view when he presented his case to you in the event that he had one before the government. And so I felt as the best way to handle these necessary political expenses of getting my message to the American people and the speeches I made, the speeches that I had printed for the most part concerned this one message of exposing this administration, the communism in it, the corruption in it. The only way that I could do that was to accept the aid which people in my home state of California who contributed to my campaign and who continued to make these contributions after I was elected were glad to make. And let me say, I am proud of the fact that not one of them has ever asked me for a special favor. I'm proud of the fact that not one of them has ever asked me to vote on a bill other than as my own conscience would dictate. And I am proud of the fact that the taxpayers, by subterfuge or otherwise, have never paid one dime for expenses which I thought were political and shouldn't be charged to the taxpayers. Let me say, incidentally, that some of you may say, well, that's all right, Senator, that's your explanation, but have you got any proof? For this Choice Voice podcast, the Techno King is John C. Brandy. The Seagull Example, Shola Silaco, Fact Checker, Abraham Lincoln, French Consultant, Virginia Mitchell, Media Expert, Favor, Abbasi E.K., Psychologist, Sigmund Freud, Rabbit Hole Advisor, Dr. Mark Parrott, Sound Designer, Google Marconi, Spanish Consultant, Cameron J.K. Brandy, Videographer, Alfred Hitchcock, Audio Props Go to Les Paul, and Inspiration Goes to Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, and Bob Proctor. Also, we have a website, and you can subscribe to this podcast. You can even send us a video, audio, or text message. But of course, you'll have to head to the show notes, either on your phone or on the web, to actually get links and stuff. Finally, you can find us on Podmatch, where we consider guests for this pod, as well as consider guesting on other people's pods. And really, finally, the music for a choice voice comes from the song Piano Background by Nick Simon Adams on freesound.org.